This is Entheogen. We talk about tools for generating the divine within. It's September 28th, 2015, and today we're talking about Burning Man. So it's the one-year anniversary of the start of Entheogen, and we originally conceived the show at Burning Man. So we thought to kick off season two of Entheogen, we would discuss a little bit about Burning Man and and uh, what, what Burning Man is all about. Yeah, happy anniversary, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very exciting. It's actually the only reason I went to Burning Man this year is just to you know, celebrate the second season of the show. <laughs> so it was a different reason than the last uh, eight years for you? Exactly. That's what, that's what, that's what I was trying to say. You know? nice. Well, nice. we did miss you, Joe. It was nice. It was really fun having you there last year. And it was, uh, you know, for sure missed your presence. Well, thank you. I, I definitely missed you guys and I missed Burning Man. And, I have no uh, idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, I have to say the same thing. I, mi- I missed you every day. So, well, I will, uh, I will be back next year and uh, look forward to maybe even doing a, an episode from Burning Man. Actually, so that's one of the things I have to say that uh, in your absence was uh, was talked about. It, tur- it turns out a number of our campmates have uh, have been listening quite uh, attently, and uh, that's I heard that comment more than once. That you know, why don't you guys do it out here? Do a do a live one from the from the playa. So I think we should do that next year. Awesome, yeah, that'd be fun. Well, I just I'm honored that you guys didn't do that without me this year. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We'll we'll kick that off next year. The that was secret entheogen episode. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we, we leaked it, man. You know. Right. It's out there on a BitTorrent somewhere. Um, is that still a thing? Maybe maybe people are on uh, Napster. I don't know. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, exactly. In uh, you know, it, speaking of our our listenership, um, it's it's not just people from our camp. Um, we've uh, over the last year of of doing the show. We, we grew pretty steadily. It was a pretty linear kind of curve for, for most of, of last year, even through like this summer. And uh, we, we seem to have hit an inflection point uh, just uh, basically midsummer. We went from a little over 1,000 listeners, 1,500, boom, we hit over 2,000 listeners, um, monthly subscribers uh, last month, and we're still going strong this month. So thank you all for listening. We should mention we have a couple new features. If you uh, go to entheogenshow.com, you can sign up for our newsletter to be alerted when we post a new episode. So we encourage you to go to entheogenshow.com and just put in your email address. We're not going to spam you. We, we send out an email only when a new episode is posted. So you can, you can subscribe to receive those emails, and then you can go ahead and reply to the email, and the three of us will receive it. If you have any feedback for the show, it's a great way to, to, uh, to hear, hear your comments and questions on air. Um, and also we should mention the Facebook as well, uh, search for Entheogen show on Facebook and we get lots of great comments through there as well and tell your friends. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. It's great getting the, especially through Facebook, like getting, getting the comments here and there and, uh, and people chiming in with their own personal stories. So that's definitely, uh, an awesome, uh, an awesome forum. And as is the newsletter now, the fact that you can reply to that is, uh, is fantastic. We do want to hear from you. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, speaking of those personal stories, Kevin, we want to hear more about your uh, personal story from from Tuesday at Burning Man. Um, to uh, <laughs> the famous uh, Acid Monday on Tuesday story. Yes, that that's <laughs> that would be the one. And uh, I hear it's about a little bit of redemption, uh, maybe circling back the, to our uh, our bad trip episode, the, right? The way that that is a perfect way to uh, to describe it. I would say that uh, it, it was the most uh, most potent and powerful. Uh, LSD trip I've ever had, and uh, and it it completely changed how I feel about 
uh, you know, when we did our bad trips episode, what I what I felt was a was a bad trip at the time, even though I had drawn some conclusions from it about my life at that time. Uh, this was just uh, was remarkable. It was a it was a complete reversal. I felt like I was able to access all of the anxiety and all of the the bad feeling that I had the day of the bad trip and really embrace it and confront it and then turn it around and just let it go. A friend of mine uh, recently described um, what he calls hard trips. He says there are there are no bad trips. He just calls them hard trips, and I think that's a, a good way to sort of. You know, recharacterize those uh, those difficult experiences. Was that Alex Alex Gray who said that? No, no, <laughs> no, not in this case. Um, although I think he'd probably agree. You know, and a lot of people agree that uh, you know, not only do you sometimes have to go through these experiences, and and maybe it's not a good idea to ca- characterize it as as a bad experience, um, but I think also it maybe does a disservice to um, to the public perception of these really, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think we talked about a little, a little bit about that in the bad trips episode was that idea, like, where does that come from? Like bad trip. And we use that word to describe it yet. You know, the things that happen in that experience, a bad trip or a hard trip. Um, I I think that's a a cool way to talk about it is the exact type of thing that a lot of people really seek. You know, a lot of people look to have these experiences that are much more deep, much more involved. And kind of like taking ownership of it, like rebranding this concept, like it's not bad, it's not implicitly negative. Although, you know, going going back to Tuesday night at Burning Man, <laughs> I was a little worried about you. you kind of, like <laughs> there, there was a point in the night, you know, because we all. So first of all, like like you said, Acid Monday became Acid Tuesday. It was just it was interesting. On Monday night, there was a point where I think t- Sunday night we had a big night. We had a lot of fun. We'd finish the build. And Monday, everybody just seemed. I, I speaking for myself, I was tired. I was really tired, and I was a little nervous about doing a big, you know, thirty, forty person group outing. And and it was interesting talking to people. Like, so do you think? Uh, what do you think about maybe postponing this for a night? And uh, you know, with with very few exceptions, almost everyone was like, "Oh, that'd be great." You know, I'm so I'm so exhausted. So as it was. Acid Monday was celebrated on Tuesday in 2015, but it, I, I was worried about you because we we got started. You know, we went, we had a, a really nice one of our camates sort of formalized it. Where in years past we we've been, you know, come together and we all like after dinner we we come together and we go out. But we made a real formal event of it this year, and everyone kind of got in a circle and got a chance to. To say a little, say something if they wanted to, to set an intention perhaps, or or speak a little bit, and so it was a very cohesive start to the night, and uh, and then we set out, you know, and we we went to the man, and we went, you know, we started the night like we usually do, kind of going from art project to art project, and I think it was only two or three art art pieces in that <laughs> you you put your hand around me and you put your arm around me and you said, uh, you know. Think I've taken a little too much. <laughs> oh no! It's like, oh, all right, you know. It, well, like, uh, to 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 clarify that, I bet like too much for a fun like let's go like you know trounce around and and laugh and giggle. I mean, I I realized quickly. The funny thing was though, is, you know, you talked about the making a ceremony of it all, and I think that that probably influenced my decision a little bit in uh, in that I decided to go for a massive dose. And uh, that was how, not how so. Uh, 
Well, I think until that point, I had planned here? to I had planned to do something like very light and just have like you know the fun the fun experience. But there was something about the whole ceremony experience that made me feel uh, like it was a little bit bigger than that. And it might might have been you know time time to do that that spiritual dose. And I, I was not thinking about confronting anything at the time. I just kind of wanted to f- wanted to g- go for it a little bit. And uh, so you know the, the 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 tabs we took were like 250 micrograms. So I took it took one, which was already a massive dose. And, and about like an hour later, I took another half of those. So you know if we're, if we're going by that. Uh, that LSD dosage chart that was that was touching the spiritual realm wow. for sure man <laughs> yeah if memory and, serves uh, i think on i think hoffman's initial uh intentional dose was 250 micrograms and we talked about you know given today's typical dose that's kind of insane yeah 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 i think it would be about 5 that would be about 5 times a normal uh, tab dose, and then so then I took another half, so I probably went up to about you know close to eight times. Out of boy, dose. and uh, so anyway, I was I don't know I was having the good old time for uh, the beginning of it. And <laughs> then there was the moment when it started to hit like real hard, and uh, and I, I remember when I came over to you, I was I was seeing like many images superimposed, and so I was having a real hard time understanding like the depth of my field of vision. So I, you know, I would see like three objects superimposed and not know which one was close and which one was far away. And uh, so that's what that's when I started a little bit worried about orientation. And I was, you know, I came over to you and I was like, uh, yeah, you know, I think I'm starting to feel it. <laughs> you know? and, uh, <laughs> and all I wanted to do was sit down on the ground because I knew the ground was like, you know, the ground ground's a pretty good point of reference. It doesn't move. You know, and uh, <laughs> the, the funny thing is, like, this is this all came after like we'd been out for quite a while, probably an hour and a half or so, and we had just had the experience with uh, that video game, which I yeah, loved I was just about Brad to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to mention that. That was one of the highlights of the week. <laughs> so set the stage here. You guys, you guys, you guys set out. Everyone, everyone drops on Acid Tuesday. You guys set out, and uh, you you end up at a. Uh, impromptu sort of video game that was no, well actually it was it was the man itself so yeah the, so it was carnival little... of mirrors was, was the theme and around the man there was like a, a maze uh which you could go in and try to get to the center where the man was and that was a whole lot of fun because it was it was huge and it took quite a while to get there and there were all kinds of fun little things along the way but outside and around the man there were all of these like carnival type tents with different things going on and so i come out of the maze and brad comes over to me and goes have you been to the video game tent and i'm like what what video game and he's like just go over there you have to go over there and i'm like really and he's like yes you have to go over there and uh and and then i understood why well, so the format was a little different this year, Joe, when traditionally the regional burns will have art projects in a circle around the man. Mm-hmm. Instead, this year there were these uh, tents. So all the regional burns sort of set up these interactive games. So some of them were like traditional carnival games where you throw the bag and knock down the bottles. Some of them were, you know, interactive in different ways. And one of them, the thing that first caught my eye about it is you're just walking by and it has like that room shape that messes with perspective, kind of like that Willy Wonka room where it's like getting smaller. So mm-hmm. it looks like there's a lot more depth to the room, but really just, it's not that deep. It's maybe like 20 feet deep at the most. And within it, there are a series of arcade games 
And at this point, when we first got to the man, I was kind of, I didn't, you know, I didn't take nearly as much as Kevin. I stayed with the the light, fun, social kind of thing uh, in terms of an amount that I'd taken. But, you know, I was at that early point where the adrenaline was kind of flowing and I was, you know, the thought of doing the maze seemed a little intimidating to me. So um, we uh, we were just sort of walking out, checking around, checking out the peripheral area and I see this room and I go in and the video game controls are pretty simple. There's one little joystick, one button and uh, and um, we, we go up to it and hit start and I didn't even realize that I picked a game and picked a player before we're thrown in this screen and we look kind of like a little RPG character, like a role-playing game character and there's nothing on the screen except these floating, like on two dimensions, like on X and Y, these like floating mushrooms and you can use the joystick to move yourself around the screen but otherwise it's just void. It's a black background and these little mushrooms kind of floating around arbitrarily and so I'm just instinctually run around and try to run into the, the next moving thing and uh, some of them you'd hit and you'd get points or and then <laughs> apparently like some like there are different colors and one of them I hit and all of a sudden my character split off into four and just went <laughs> in four different directions and sort of faded out and then <laughs> I'm like where the hell did my character go <laughs> it's like fading in and out in different parts of the screen and instead of being in those same two xy dimensions there's like several dimensions where my character is sort of drifting in and out and I just thought the concept of the game was so silly and so fun and engaging <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it I wanted to play more but uh Pull myself away and had, had it was like those things are like you guys got to try this. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really it's like the biggest mind fuck ever too. I mean it's like you're you're just tripping and you're trying to make sense of the game. Yeah, you know, even if it was a normal game, you would have had a hard time just getting oriented within the game. And like, I mean, when I hit, so he he told me about it without telling me what the story was. But once I I hit the first mushroom and then all of a sudden like the joystick worked in reverse. Like if you went up, the character <laughs> would go down and like just everything was fucked. And then, uh, and then the same thing happened to me. I hit another mushroom, and I split into several characters. And like, I you you like trying to follow each one and where is it going, and you're trying to control it. You lose your mind. And uh, I, I seriously, I felt like I was going insane. Like, well, yeah, in, yeah. in that whole time when I was playing, I was just trying to figure it out, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. And then the person that I was playing with, you know, when their character split off into four, they made the comment like, "Ooh, I must have eaten a bad mushroom," <laughs> and then I started cracking up. It just the. Well, way the game's designed to engineer that kind of comment you know that well, sort of observation <laughs> nice. and the best was that the guy the creator of the game was standing like i mean he was wearing like the coolest outfit up in this like you know vest and tie and everything like dressed in this old carnival style but he was basically standing there the whole time just watching people like have their mind fucked and laughing his nuts off trip out on the just laughing hysterically. I was laughing hysterically. So for anyone at listening at home joining us late uh, to the conversation, let me just get this straight. So Kevin, you take what's considered about eight times the normal dose of, so of LSD. A, a heroic dose. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's, I think I'd consider it an heroic dose indeed. Um, and one that many people would take years to prepare their psyche for to experience in the quiet and comfort of their own home with a very carefully engineered... Thank, thank you for making me feel more <laughs> irresponsible about this show. I feel worse about it now. Well, he's got the prep. He certainly has the years of, uh, of pedigree and preparation. I, I guess so, because you, you, do, you, take, you take this experience out in public uh, to yeah. a, a crowded 
you know, car- carnival of mirrors, as they say, um, you know, uh, uh, with uh, people in, in costume and just chaos around you. And you go and you, you decide to play a video game with wacky inverted controllers that well, I was still I was still in control at that point right. <laughs> i was like that video game may have been like the breaking point though you know it's like <laughs> wow but but uh, it set me off but no it was actually it was a little bit later on that we uh we went to see two or three different art installations and all of a sudden i got hit i made the comment to brad and then i i needed to find the ground and i sat down with my girlfriend and i just uh she she was trying i think she was trying to like help me at the time she's like come on you know let's dance the music and i'm like you don't understand there's no dancing gonna happen here like this I, like i have zero control over my body and like i can't orient myself and uh it was really funny i just sat down i had i had a really really heavy anxiety and that was the same exact anxiety i felt uh when i had the bad trip and i was i started to get scared and i think i said that to you brad didn't i, I said i'm a little bit scared yeah, I think well, you go by the nickname the Colonel on the Playa, and and you just kind of came up to me with this with a smile, and you said that the Colonel's taking too much, and and I was trying to, you know, <laughs> gauge the you know the depth of your comment. You know, I didn't I didn't want to be worried. You know, it's kind of like I've heard yeah. I've heard this thing like if if a small child falls down, you don't want to like run at them and seem worried because you'll 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 put fear into their consciousness and they'll they'll react more seriously if you seem like you're really concerned. So I was like with this in my mind like I didn't want to overreact to your comment but at the same time I wanted to sort of to, to gauge what you meant by that and if it was something that like okay do you need some help how can we help you and and it seemed pretty quickly like you were just expressing like yeah this is a lot of fun this is this is going to get pretty deep and I'm like Okay, cool. Like you, you're still yourself. You're still talking. You still have your faculties. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you seem to be all right. And then I got concerned when the group, you know, moved on. Like we went to the next project, and and it wasn't for a few minutes before I'd realized that you were no longer with us. And the, the comforting thing was that, you know, your girlfriend was with you. She was well. I assumed she was with you because she was also not with us. And. And that that was comforting as as we talked about it. I just mentioned that you know you were gone. People were reassuring that like, well, you know, she she's not here too, so they're probably together, and that's good. Um, but yeah, so you just kind of come up and said the, that exactly like the colonel's taking too yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, that well, that, that that was that was the feeling at the time. I started to feel a little afraid, and it was a, it was a fear I've only felt uh, that that one other time that I had that uh, bad trip. So I, so anyway, when I'm sitting on the ground and. Uh, and for trying to put the fear out of my mind for a while, which is just making it worse and worse, uh, until there was a moment where uh, I decided to just close my eyes, and that was crazy. When once I closed my eyes, I went into like a world of vibrating colors that was so rich and so intense, and uh, it just felt like the, the layers of an Alex Gray painting. This is exactly what it felt like. And, uh, and then I, I kind of just decided to like access the, the anxiety and I could feel it like throughout my entire body. And, uh, and I, it was almost like I got down to this like one central question that was like, what am I anxious about? What, what's going to happen? And it was, I, it was almost like, I didn't hear anything, but it was almost as if hearing a voice, like nothing. (laughs) And it's, and it just disappeared. It just absolutely disappeared in like one second, just absolute, just gone, you know, and, uh, and I was almost, I almost felt like I had reversed everything that had happened in the in the bad trip, and then and then from there on, I had absolutely the most spectacular visual experience of my life, 
uh, and the most fun romantic night just roaming around for seven hours with my girlfriend checking out every amazing project on the playa and and just having great interactions with people and I mean seriously seriously tripping like just it was a it was a really really dusty night and the winds the winds were just blowing like crazy and I was seeing just like like colored winds passing by because I could see like all kinds of blues and reds and pinks in the dust. And, uh, so the visual, the visual aspect is just out of this world. Just everything was so beautiful. I have a few questions on that. Um, how, how long was it that you were sort of on the ground? Ah, probably about 30 minutes. And it, it, the way you describe it, it, it sounds like you sort of conquered something. You know, it sounds like you sort yeah, exactly. of triumphed over something. Yeah, totally. It felt, totally felt that way. And I felt like I had like an energy for the rest of the night that was like, wow, I over, overcame this like massive past uh, trauma or barrier wow. or something. And also, it also just, uh, I don't know, it, it, it was like a, you know, th- those two experiences were probably about a year and a half apart. And, it just made me feel uh, they were so indicative of my life at both moments. You know, it was my at a time when my life everything was very difficult. It was in a very mm, toxic relationship and blah blah. And now it was totally the opposite. It was com- completely in love with this amazing girl, and just uh, couldn't have felt better. You know, just couldn't have felt better. It was amazing. Yeah, and hearing you retell it, I, I have a lot of respect for her. You know, being just being with you without needing an explanation, and and just laying down with you, and and not getting concerned. You know, like I might have been concerned if if you know you continued to to feel like you know disabled by it. But uh, I'm really impressed that she stuck with you and didn't you know ask anything of you. Was just there to be with you, and I can imagine how comforting that must have been. Yeah, I know that was absolutely amazing. I was just, you know, for that part where I where I said I closed my eyes and kind of went inside, I was just like, you know, lying on her with my arms around her, and that was I was just anchored to such a, a tremendous feeling of love, you know, and it was just uh, that that helped a lot. Do you think there was sort of a, like a turning point, you know, in in the midst of all that? I mean, you you mentioned clearly there was that that. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of question and answer came, you know, the answer of, you know, that you weren't afraid of anything. Um, was that, you know, could you characterize that in any other way? Like, was there some kind of um, turning point, like where you could have seen going in the wrong direction and you chose the right path or? Uh, I don't know. I've wondered about that a little bit. I think, I think really it was just um, realizing that that anxiety was a, it was a memory of anxiety. It wasn't anxiety at the, at the moment. It was just kind of like a, like a reflex action to feeling uh, a certain, I don't know, a certain degree of uh, <laughs> LSD in my system or something. Hmm. And I've just kind of, just kind of the memory of this bad time and it was coming to grips with that. It's like, this is only a memory. This has nothing to do with right now. Right now, I'm, there's nothing wrong. So you, you had the confidence that, you know, there, there wasn't any sort of medical crisis happening, you know, um, and, you know, further you have, you had someone who, who could <laughs> that's, clearly that's take care great, of you, right? That's a, that's a great point because I think, um, yeah, in the, in the bad trip, I was, I was worried about that, which was, is very strange in, in retrospect, like, you know, everything we know about, uh, a substance like LSD, there's no, there's absolutely nothing you can medically do to yourself. Uh, but for some reason, the only time in my life I've been worried about that, that I thought that, you know, I had, you know, I had some sort of a medical problem, but this time that, that never crossed my mind. And I think, uh, even when I realized how powerful everything was, I, I, I knew it was only a temporary state of mind. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a powerful uh, you know thing to internalize it in, in a moment like that. That uh, it's temporary, and and uh, you know you'll emerge on the other side one way or the other. So why not? Uh, yeah, release yeah, yeah, the fear. Exactly, like yeah, release the fear and actually like em- embrace uh, embrace the moment, and enjoy it. Take 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 that for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in thinking of your question, if you truly if you, the question was phrased in this exact way of like, what do I have to be anxious about? Thinking back to the the lecture of of Mariana Dinkova, it's that's that's a relatively risky question to ask if you're at that point. <laughs> that's a good you know, point. because the risk is that you're going to get an answer to that question, and your brain's going to start saying, "Well, you have all these reasons to be anxious." And mm-hmm. fortunately, in that in that situation, you know, it came through as the word nothing. But uh, but I don't. <laughs> I guess for our listeners, don't ask that question. Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good point. Mariana did make that point. Um, and and for for those listening at home, we're talking about episode six, uh, recorded uh, way back in February with Mariana Dinkova, and uh, she made the point that um, you know you really have to be careful how you ask the questions. If if you say you know if you ask a question to to one of these plant medicines, you know like uh, why why do I have why am I filled with uh, such uh, self loathing or something like that, you know. <laughs> I think there might be a distinction there because I think what she she meant and, and was great because I actually went with Brad to uh, to that lecture again, which was fantastic, and uh, and I think there's a slight distinction there in saying like you know what what do I have to be uh, anxious or afraid of doesn't necessarily imply something you know I'm not you're not putting something negative automatically into the stream. I mean if if I if you're afraid you are afraid right. But uh, it may also be the substance, though, because she was specifically talking about ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, yeah. She was saying, you know, if you you ask ayahuasca, what do I have to be afraid about? You know, ayahuasca might say, well, where do I begin? (laughs) (laughs) Since you asked. Since you asked, yeah. She was talking a lot about intentions and not framing them negatively, you know, and and it's like, you know, why am I so judgmental or something like that? That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, I think I don't know when you're not talking about something that's a, a trait of your character, but that's something that's just a you know a passing feeling or state of mind. Maybe it's not as catastrophic. Yeah, if you asked it as like, why am I so afraid? You know, then then yeah, all, you're, all you're, the time, <laughs> right? You're characterizing it as like a, a trait that's already you know that you can already yeah. attribute to yourself. Whereas if you ask the way you asked it, I think was actually a really good distinction to make that you asked it as like you know, just an open question. And the answer was, uh, you know, similarly open. It was, it was just actually, you know, you're, you should not be afraid. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the, maybe that's the difference and maybe that's a, a good takeaway for, for people to, uh, you know, to think. And it also occurs to me, a lot of these lessons can be, can be actually brought into everyday life. You know, you can, you can think about the way that we ask ourselves a question throughout the day and, uh, and, and maybe like, reframe those questions that we ask ourselves throughout the day in a different way. And, uh, maybe the answers are different for sure. Yeah. Well, Kevin mentioned that we went and saw the Mariana's lecture again and it was really cool. We got, we stuck around after and got a chance to meet her, um, you know, face to face and to mention, you know, thank her in person for being on the show back in February and, and just mention that, you know, that, when Joe, you and I went uh, last year, that was the inspiration for starting the show in the first place. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, set off this conversation that that resulted in the idea of creating this show. So it was fun to it was fun to share that experience with Kevin the year the year later and to to meet her and you know put a put a name to the face and and Kev, did you? I think you went and saw a couple, uh, it, uh, not just that one, but a, a couple others uh, lectures that she gave. 
Yeah, actually, so I, I spent more time than ever at Burning Man in, in lectures this year. I went to see some great ones, and, uh, and in fact, some people that uh, hopefully will get on this show at some point. But uh, uh, and the titles are great. It's like, how can you not go to lectures called "The Neuroscience of Partying"? And, uh, <laughs> and so the Mariana one, we went to see the uh, Tools for Navigating Altered States, which was fantastic. We had a pretty good good laugh at that one too. We uh, especially when she was talking about having that. Uh, how did you call it the ba- the bouncer? Is that the right the arch- right. the arch- the strong archetype that you can call on to help you in in moments of maybe fear, and uh, and I thought it was really funny. We had a good laugh because Brad mentioned uh, a former guest of our show, Ingo, <laughs> nice. as uh, as as possibly one of those uh, one of those people in that in that role. But also, I, was, I got a big kick out of everybody yelling out. You know, she asked the crowd for for examples, and people yell out some really funny shit, like you know, the, the Ghostbusters. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's yeah. great. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, like you know, it brings out the ten year old kid in you, man. That, like that definitely brings out good feelings. For sure. But, but uh, yeah, the Mariana, the other talk we went to was. Um, uh, specifically about sex, and I can't remember the title of it. Something right about now. flirting, right? It was. Yeah, it was. It was kind of about. It was. It was a pretty cool talk because it was about. It was about like not uh, falling into like the typical roles that uh, our society has. She talked a little bit how every society has these kind of fixed cultural roles for men and women, and about how you can kind of move in and out of them and, and experiment with different things. And uh, it was that was really fun. And I hope uh, that she'll come on and talk about it at some point. And because I know she also does one of her shows that uh or one of her talks that's mentioned in uh in one of her ayahuasca trips is about the erotic amphigenic experience so it'd be very cool to to have her back and talk about that but it was a really fun workshop it was had to do a lot of silly shit but uh it was it was a good time nice well, so that, that leads into um the, the sort of broader discussion about burning man i mean you know we we let in with uh intending to have a uh, sort of informal discussion about Burning Man in general. And, uh, you know, of course, we fixated uh, right away on what most people think of when you mention Burning Man, if, if they know anything about Burning Man. <laughs> That's a good point. Right. It's it's like, oh, oh, drugs, you know. And it, uh, so recently, like um, it just as a, as a br- brief aside, I, I've been working um, I've been working entheogens into conversation more. Um, you know, it, over the last year, basically since doing the show and since realizing that, um, really public, uh, perception is, is really important with this stuff. Um, and so I've been, I've been working into, um, conversation, uh, just facts and, and things I've learned about, you know, my own use and other use of, of, uh, entheogens. Uh, so for example, uh, somebody was talking about smoking cigarettes recently and I said, yeah, I, I quit that, you know, a while ago. Um, finally, you know, and, and, uh, oh, good for you, you know. Um, yeah, well, you know how I did it was, uh, LSD, you know, it's like just throwing it out there. Right. And so, uh, I, uh, I made this uh, comment and, uh, and somebody said, oh yeah, well, by the way, I want to talk to you about Burning Man. They, they knew that I had gone last year. Um, so, you know, clearly in people's minds, these things are like just, um, you know, uh, irrevocably connected, like just psychedelics and Burning Man. Right. But to me, Burning Man was, uh, you know, uh, so, so much broader than that. Um, there's kind of like a vibe that you get there. There's kind of a feeling and, and clearly it's highly compatible with uh, psychedelic use. Right. Um, sure. and maybe it comes from that in, in some ways the the openness and stuff like that. 
Um, but there's something else going on. And I, I thought maybe we could drill down into a little bit more about, um, you know, wh- why people go, what, what, why do you go to Burning Man? Well, we had a, we had a campmate this year, uh, Brad Jorge, who had mm-hmm. been to Burning Man, like, f- I think my, my second year or something, it was like six years ago. And he, he, you know, he went for the entire experience the first time and, you know, experimented with all kinds of things. And this year he actually came back after six years and he did not, uh, he did not do anything all week. And he, he had set that out for himself. And I thought that was pretty cool, uh, goal because he said, you know, this, this place is so amazing. Like everything that happens here, every, uh, just every day and every minute is filled with all kinds of rich experience, uh, that's unparalleled anywhere else. And he wanted to feel what all of that was like without any interference. And I thought that was really cool. I'm also never going to do that, but I thought it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a little extreme. It's it's kind of like uh, it, this, the pendulum swings you know, way back in the other direction. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of a proving something to someone aspect. Uh, but um, but but there's I, I, to me, my mind keeps going back to um, the, uh, the the lack of commerce um, being like a real big uh, factor because I don't know, at least in, in the U S like so much of our everyday experience is really like dictated, uh, by the consumerist culture here. And when you go into this, um, sort of anti-consumerist, uh, environment, it really changes the, uh, just the feeling of the place. Yeah. There was one night, uh, I was hanging out with, um, our, our good friend Curtis and we, we were just catching up. It had been a while since we'd seen each other. And, um, and we we walked into um, a bar. You know, it's it's it looks like any bar that you would go to, except they have a lot of couches set up, and and it's not too crowded. And and we had you know we had no plans for the night. Just wanted to chat and catch up. And I uh, it, it struck me then more than in other contexts where like this is what we would otherwise do. You know, if if I went and visited him in New York, we'd probably catch up, you know, like go out, maybe get a, get a beer at a bar and, and then go from there. But, you know, we, we had that same experience that we walked up and handed them our cup and, and there was no money transacted. And I was like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> this is like a, 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 an observation of that. And, and certainly like decommodification and the lack of money is, is one of the 10 principles. And it's, it does make it a very unique uh, experience. I think there are other uh, experiences you can have in addition to Burning Man festivals, even that that um, that practice decommodification, and that's that's definitely uh, part of the social construct um, that makes it fun and unique and safe and kind of wholesome feeling when you don't have all that dirty money on everything. But I I, I heard it described well as a social experiment, um, and I like that. You know, it's like. I think some people think of it as a big rave, you know, or some people think of it, and these are opinions I think of people who've never been, you know, think of it as a rave or, or a music festival or, or, an orgy. Or, or an orgy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and really like the, the, the idea of it being a social experiment rings a lot more true for me. And, uh, and, and it does it. So it has these principles, decommodification, one of them, you know, I don't know all ten off the top of my head, but things like radical acceptance, radical self-expression, um, immediacy—these the, trying to adhere to these principles—it creates this environment um, that perhaps makes it um, 
a place that's really fun to do drugs, but I also don't think that drugs are central to it. You know, in the case of Jorge, Jorge as an example, um, another thing that I hear people. So, ask, so wait, one guy didn't do drugs at Burning Man last year. The only guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know why that people, wasn't in the newspaper. The, the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> But some people who've never been, they'll say, like, I heard there's police there. You know, I, I heard that you can you can get arrested or you can get tickets. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, it's there. There are a police presence. There there are rangers there. It, it puts in place this uh, this you need to be responsible for yourself, for yourself. And and I think that's important. And I, I think if, you know, I wanted to bring, you know, one of my parents and I, I wouldn't feel worried that they were going to go and be um, bombarded with and feel uncomfortable because all these people are getting fucked up left and right. I think you, I think you can go and you can bring your family or you can bring someone and you can go the whole week and that if you don't make it your intention to have drugs be part of the experience, it'll never come up. You know, you, yeah, I don't you think you you'll, you'll miss it. anything. Yeah, you won't see it. People are very respectful about it. Uh, it's certainly a taboo thing to, to talk to strangers about. Um, the, if you want someone to go away from you pretty quickly and uncomfortably, you can you know, just bring up drugs out of the blue. But uh, <laughs> e- even though that that does kind of have a like a ubiquitous connection, you know, between Burning Man and drugs, when you're there at the experience, um, it doesn't it doesn't feel that way. Brad, I also I, I think you know the decommodification one is uh, I don't know it's one of the the principle it's one of the things you notice first it's i think it's part of the first day or two of culture shock when you when you get there it's you feel a little bit uncomfortable about <laughs> money not being involved it's like wait they're going to give me something for free but i don't i don't know i feel weird about that it's it's yeah it's like yeah. disempowering because uh, yeah. we rely on money to uh to to basically like to do things i remember having the feeling that um you know a big Mucci. part of my life outside of burning man was uh this sort of like it was defined by like this attitude to go get, you know, it's like, I need to go get uh, like a coffee. I need to go get something. I need to go. And that involves like going and acquiring things. Yeah. Like going and and, like negotiating with a person to like, you know, even if that means I need to go pick up something I'm borrowing from a friend or, you know, specifically going to a store to, to actually buy something that I need or whatever, or feel like I need. Um, It's, it's a really weird, it's just such a, a pervasive part of our culture um, it just permeates everything. You just have no, you, you forget that so much of your life is like actually based around going and getting things, acquiring things with money, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and, and on that note, as, as, uh, hard as the decommodification part can be at the beginning, one of the things that's not in the principles and which to me is just so important in how well the experiment works is the fact that people don't wear their normal clothing. The, the clothing aspect is so important that you realize how many judgmental decisions you make every day based on clothing. You know, and if it's, if money, lim- <laughs> if money limits you, you know, if money separates us in one way where it's like, oh, you know, I don't go to that restaurant or that bar because I don't have as much money as that other person and those things separate us, um, I think clothing does it way more. Um, and we just, we just can't help it. It's like we, we judge people every second on their clothing and something about Burning Man, everybody dressing in, in a crazy way, it eliminates that, that kind of like judgmental aspect. And it's just another very serious unifying force. Furs, uh, furs. furs. That's the 11th principle. Furs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
I had one this year for my first time, like a full length fur, and man, was I appreciative. It was the coldest year of any year that I've ever been at night, and I, like in years past, I, I, I've never felt uncomfortable at night, and I didn't, I didn't understand why everyone was so bundled up or had you know such heavy clothing. But this year, man, I would have been, I would have been up a creek if I if I didn't have that fur. <laughs> yeah, you need a big jacket, man. You got to hide your drugs somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I it's so foolish to me to think that we could, you know, in 30 or 40 minutes, like truly convey or encapsulate what that experience is. I've said to someone that like my first year, I was I so actively tried to get out of the camp and do as much as I could and do everything that I could with the time that I had. And I estimated that at best, I saw 5% of what was there. And I experienced, you know, such a small fraction of of what there is available to do and i think that because of that abundance because there's so many different things that you can do or experience every single person's experience there is going to be totally unique you know there's no way two people can have the same experience because there's just so many things happening at every given time that it's really magical how everyone can go and they can take from it something that means something to them and that it can be special for them in a certain way um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. Are there any other, what else can we say about it? Like go people go <laughs> enjoy it. Although there's a lot of people who would, you know, kind of take umbrage with the fact that we're encouraging people to go. A lot of people kind of would like it to be a bit more off the radar, you know, and my friend describes that as the, the drawbridge mentality. You know, it's like you, yeah. get, you get across the moat and the first thing you want to do is pull the bridge up on the rest of the people. <laughs> right. It's like discovering a band, you know, early on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do encourage people to to check it out. And I think the right people somehow, you know, find their, their way there at some point. Um, you should definitely be prepared. It's not something to just, you know, it's not a vacation. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing vacation, but it's, it's not a, uh, a place you can just sort of show up unprepared. You know, you definitely need to, uh, to to do your research. Another way that I described Burning Man this year, it was on Tuesday night. I was feeling pretty, uh, you know, smart. <laughs> I was feeling pretty uh, good about uh, my observations and I was having so much fun. And, you know, we got to, later in the night, we got to a party at the Mayan Warrior Car and the music was great. And uh, our good friend who goes by the nickname Bobby Light, like dancing up a storm, like literally there was like a storm around his feet of dust because he was just doing the most energetic, amazing things. And I'm just watching this happen and I'm hearing this music and I'm watching this person that like, you know, I've had dinner with so many times, you know, back home and and like seeing him in this context, I said to the, you know, one of our other campmates, I was like, you know, Bernie Man's like, you take all of the coolest people you know and you bring them to the coolest place in the world and you just watch magic happen. You know, you, you put these people in this very special situation and the mo- like you, you just can't believe it. And of all the things, Kev, I'm, I, I know you had a great experience of yourself Tuesday night, but y- y- you're never going to be able to see Bobby Light dance the way he did that night. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sorry. <laughs> it's I know it's really funny. It was the first thing I heard when I rejoined the group was that uh, another another friend of ours, Yaz, who's who's uh, well known as as a dancer himself, uh, especially for intimidating everyone else around him. But uh, 
he, uh, you know, I, I rolled up to the group. I was so excited to join everybody, and he's like, "You don't understand what you missed, man. You missed, you missed the battle of the century, Yaz against Bobby Light on the at the Myanmar art car." And I was like, "Oh man!" I'm like, "I'm like, who won?" And he's like, "Everyone." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, "This is this is like the kind of fun I can only have at Burning Man." I'm just laughing hysterically all week. That was Entheogen. We've been talking about Burning Man. Check us out at entheogenshow.com and sign up for our newsletter to find out when we post new episodes. Also, do a search for Entheogen Show on Facebook. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin.